0: Welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for Product Managers and Innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping
1: product managers become product masters.
0: Listen and get ready to take your career
1: to the next level for the doctor is in.
0: Hi, this is Chad, and this is a special episode for you. As product managers and innovators, I believe we have responsibility to help prepare the next generation of innovators, I've only explored this topic in a few past episodes, and it's time to do it again. So this episode is about encouraging you and providing you ideas for helping future innovators. For this discussion, I traveled to a study room on the campus of the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT. I met with the new student, 17-year-old Kyle Marklin. While getting accepted to MIT is kind of a big deal, it's a significant accomplishment by itself. What Kyle is known for is his robotic video tutorials he's a kid teaching kids. His story is an inspiration to me and I hope it is to you too as everyday innovators, as we can also encourage an interest in robotics, other STEM topics and innovation in general by sharing our experiences with the next generation. You'll find a summary of the discussion with Kyle at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 198. I do hope you enjoy this special episode. Hi, this is Chad, your host of The Everyday Innovator. This is where product managers become product masters and have a great opportunity to visit someone who's been a personal inspiration to me and more of an inspiration to my son. We'll tell you more about that here in a bit. But I've done a few podcasts about how can we as product managers, I really feel this is a a responsibility that we have as everyday innovators, how can we be inspiring and mentoring the next generation of innovators? And uh, this is in that vein because we are with Kyle. Hi, Kyle. Hello, everyone. And Kyle is well known for having a YouTube channel that, among other things, teaches robotics. And uh, Kyle started this when you were what age? 14. 14. And and you're at, at the wise age now of? 17. Yeah. So you've been doing this for three years now. And we are uh, recording this in a study room on the MIT campus.
1: Yep, that is correct.
0: And where do classes start for you?
1: Classes start on September
0: 5th. Awesome. So that's coming up pretty soon. You're hearing this a little bit later, so we're recording a little bit earlier. Before we dive into the robotics discussion and what you've done with that, just give us a sense about yourself. What is it you enjoy doing besides, we know robotics, but
1: what else? So everyone, of course, knows me for the robotics. If you're probably listening, you already know that. But there are plenty of things that I like to do outside of robotics or even outside of science and technology. I'm an avid reader, not just of nonfiction books, but I also really enjoy literature. Uh, just this past year, my last year of high school, I took a literature course where I studied works by... James Joyce, and I read Jules Verne when I was in elementary school. I'm not sure exactly how much of it I absorbed, but I really loved uh, reading these sophisticated books of literary merit, as they say. I'm also a very avid musician. Music is always a huge part of my life, and I started playing the double bass when I was in fifth grade, and it's something that I've kept up with ever since then. Mm -hmm. And I've gotten pretty good with it, or at least I like to think I'm okay. And I actually made it to the all-state. Symphony Orchestra for New York State this past year in my senior year of high school. So now at MIT, I'm going to be auditioning for the orchestra, and hopefully, I'll be able to continue to pursue my my musical uh, interests while I'm at MIT, alongside sharpening and learning about robotics.
0: Awesome! And we are often kind of see in people that combination of an interest in math or science, the engineering, and musician, uh, you know, something. So. And we have a, a another uh, guest with, with us, which is my son, Cooper, Hello. who also shares an interest in robotics and music and reading. I know yeah. that because I know you well. Yeah. Yeah. So, and Cooper might ask a few questions later, but we know Kyle because Cooper's been involved in robotics and discovered Kyle's YouTube videos that were great tutorials about learning more about robotics. So that was excellent. When it comes to robotics,
1: how did you get started learning about that? So it really started when I was in fifth grade. My school had bought a Lego Mindstorms NXT set for us kids to play around with and start tinkering. And we were young kids at the time, so around 10 years old. And we were teaching the NXT robot to do very simple things like drive around on its wheels or play smoke on the water, just silly little things that kids like to do. And I started wondering if there was something more that I could do with it. So I saved up my money for a few years, and I was able, fortunate enough to be able to purchase my own NXT kit for use at home. Right. And I started experimenting on my own well, without any instruction, both that's building different mechanical structures and then trying to find some kind of uh, programming that could animate them to do things that I wanted. So it was kind of like this freestyle experimentation. One of the first things that I made with my NXT is an early version of my Timiton, which is the shark robot that's featured on my channel on my website. It was you very r- say a shark robot, yep, a shark robot. It was very rough, the first design that I made, but uh, over the years, I've made incremental improvements and gotten it to the point where it is now that I can display it at public events and let kids play with it to mm. show them how the robots work. At the same time as I was doing this freestyle experimentation with the robotics at home, I also joined a first LEGO League or FLL team, and I was sharpening my skills by building robots for competition. So I was learning about robotics on two fronts, both in terms of at, at my home experimenting with different things and also learning to build robots for competition.
0: Awesome. We, we had an FLL experience a couple times, Cooper's been in it. And last year, uh, I and another person were coaches for a new team and never coached before and had uh, nine high energy boys that went off to the state qualifier. And out of how many teams was it?
1: Uh, I think 40 something.
0: 47, I think, something like that. um, we, We won the qualifier, which I was just floored at, right? As a first-time coach, I thought there was a chance. <laughs>
1: Congratulations. That's
0: an excellent achievement. It <laughs> was a great experience. Yeah. And your videos helped provide a lot of guidance. Thank so, you. I'm, I'm so
1: proud to be a part of your experience.
0: It, it was a good uh, virtual mentorship that you weren't even aware of. Then. <laughs> and when it comes to making those videos, how did you get into that? So you were doing the robotic education on yourself. You got and you know your, your kid at home to start playing with. We did the same sort of thing with uh, Mindstorms EV3. And then you were part of how how did the YouTube let's decide one day we're going to make videos and tell others about this? How did that happen?
1: It wasn't necessarily like a moment where I just woke up one day and said, okay, let's make an excellent YouTube resource for, for Mindstorms educators. It was more like a a gradual thing that had developed over the course of a few weeks. Mm -hmm. I aged out of FLL when I went into ninth grade Mm -hmm. and I realized that I had developed so many techniques and uh, programs that I wouldn't have any use for anymore. And I thought it was a shame that all of this knowledge I had accumulated over the three years that I was in FLL wasn't going to be used anymore. Things like line squaring are the first thing that come to mind. That was one of the novel programs that I developed for FLL Nature's Fury. And so I thought about making a video to document how I came up with this idea to do line squaring and then make a programming walkthrough to teach kids how I was able to make that line squaring program and Uh, roughly how I was able to apply it in FLL. So that was my first tutorial, was a line squaring video. And uh, the video itself was very rough. I still had a long way to go in terms of learning how to make videos and professional presentation and very polished product. But the information itself was uh, pretty good. And a few experts in the Mindstorms community saw my video, and they got very enthusiastic about it, because here's a kid trying to teach other kids concepts that he's learned. Mm -hmm. And they loved the information that I was sharing. And so they started encouraging me to make more tutorials. And they also suggested ways in which I can improve my line squaring program. So I made two more tutorials on line squaring, making uh, little improvements over time to the program to get it more refined. And then I moved on to uh, making other tutorials on FLL-related topics. So then my next video was eight tips for building an FLL robot where I discuss some of the points that I learned for a, a good FLL robot design mm-hmm. from my three years of experience. And that to this day is my most popular video. <laughs> and that and, and, one thing
0: on that, so having watched some of these videos too, with Cooper, what I appreciate from your videos, like especially the how to, how to make a good robot and what choices do you make, like big tires or small tires, mm-hmm. you were doing a good job of bringing engineering principles into that, that just in terms of the pros and cons of things. Mm-hmm. You always talked about, you know, what's the advantages of a big tire? What's the disadvantages? And I appreciated how you brought that in along the way, as opposed to simply saying, here's how you do it. You help to evaluate. And I also appreciate, and I might be remembering this a little bit wrong, but like the line scoring videos, that was also kind of just you showing your evolution of what you were learning mm-hmm. and just being very open about, okay, on that last one, correct me if I'm wrong on this one. The I think one of those versions, the robot, could a line square approach the line on the left side first and that did a square probably approach on the right hand side or vice versa, right? Correct. And then you fix that, right? And yes. said, oh, I, I discovered that, you know, just through experimentation. Mm-hmm. And I loved how you, as you were learning, you sharing what you were learning and make it very real, natural.
1: Absolutely, yeah. If you see my line squaring video from 2015, you can see like the very early stages, the first time I made line squaring for an EV3 robot. And then I made another tutorial in September or August of 2017, uh, again about line squaring, but it's a more polished and refined program. And now coming this October, so in a few weeks, I'm going to have yet another line squaring program that was actually prototyped by one of my viewers who was inspired by my original line mm-hmm. squaring videos, which is even better than the ones I've demonstrated so far. And that can handle line squaring from either direction and angles approach angles close to 45 degrees. Mm. And it's much faster and more accurate than my own method. So if you Even just looking at just the line squaring videos, you can clearly see this sense of progression from where I started off almost four years ago and then uh, improving it over time. And I think that's something important to show kids that you don't always get it right on the first try. And it's okay to make improvements over the course of days, sometimes weeks. Sometimes it even takes years before Mm -hmm. you get a new idea on how to take it to the next step and improve your design.
0: Yeah. And that's learning along the way. There's this notion of fail fast, which is really learning fast, right? We do experiments. We see what doesn't work and we see what works and we move on from that. As you're talking about that, you talk about inspiration. Even in that line scoring example, I remember looking at at your first program and going, wow, there's a lot going on here. But it inspired me enough to think about how might I write one, you know, from scratch and just to try that, right? And came up with a simple one. It's like, it works pretty decently in, in some situations. So that was good. For inspiration, Cooper, do you want to ask a question about how he has inspired others?
1: Yeah, you've inspired a lot of kids like me to do robots. Do you have any examples of that? So I have lots of great examples. Like, for example, you guys are here, and I think that's awesome that you guys were willing to meet for this uh, podcast interview. I think that's amazing. But all the time I get emails from people. They're from all around the world. Some of them are young kids. Some of them are teenagers. Some of them are uh, college students, some are even much older folks who majored in engineering a while ago, commenting on my videos but I've got uh so many positive comments about people that I've inspired and that's that's it makes me feel really good when I see those and that's what really keeps me going It reminds me that um what I'm doing is is really appreciated and it's helping people mm-hmm. so for example. Last year, I had a mother and her six-year-old son email me, and she was talking about how she's planning on teaching her son robotics, and she's using my tutorials as a means to do that, and I thought, personally, that was amazing. Also, last year, I had a Google software engineer kind of stumble on my YouTube channel by accident, and he commented, he just left a quick note on uh through my email saying that he was very impressed by the the way that I presented the information mm-hmm. and the quality of the information that I had on there. So I I thought that was like uh really awesome. Just yesterday even I saw a long-time viewer on my channel named Andreas he's from Cyprus. And he happened to be in town doing an internship right here at MIT. So when he heard that I was going to be starting at MIT, he offered to meet up. So we actually met up here on the MIT campus, and we talked for about two hours about all kinds of things, like about mind storms, bouncing ideas off of each other. And that was just such an awesome, wholesome experience uh, for both of us, and it was, it was really amazing. I've also had uh, college students, both undergraduates and gr- graduate students, who have emailed me and told me that actually the tutorial videos have helped them with their school work that they're working on, which I thought was pretty interesting that um well, I'm in college now, but from me being in high school, I was helping to mentor kids who are in college doing a graduate study. So it was Uh, Really interesting. And then one one final example, there are plenty, and I can go on for a a long time, but there was a, a kid in Norway, I think I mentioned him before, who saw some of my videos and was inspired to create improved versions of the programs that I demonstrated. And then after he was finished with them in FLL, he came back to me, contacted me in August, And he asked me if I would be interested in featuring his programs on my channel. So I'm going to be rolling out a mini series of six videos showcasing his programs this October.
0: Awesome. Just like Cooper and myself and so many others, those are great examples of you sharing your work has really inspired others to have a more interest diving into how to learn about robotics. And just we should talk talk about some context, which I probably should have done earlier. Um, FLL is the first Lego league. It's an international organization that provides robotic competitions. And the FLL ages are, is it 9 to
1: 14? It depends on the region, but generally, yes, it starts in fourth grade, so about 9 years old. In the U.S., it goes up to 13. Yeah. But in some international regions, it can go up to 16 years old.
0: Yeah, and then we can cut over to WRO and some other things. But for anyone that wants to look into that, just Google First Lego League, and they have a ton of information. And there's groups almost everywhere. As you were going through this process of making these videos, you were learning more about robots, you were learning more about videos and communicating that information. I'm sure you had a lot of growth just doing that. What stands out that, that you learned during that process?
1: So one of the the major things that I learned, aside from the robotics, because I'm always growing and learning about that, and that's to be expected, but I've also made leaps and bounds in terms of video production and presenting my information in a very uh, professional but also easy to digest manner. So I I look at my early videos, and um, you can see that the, the video quality is not quite as good as what I've been able to, and that's just by making improvements over the years. So my very first video was made using a very old camcorder and uh, the built-in microphone, so the audio is not that great. And I very quickly learned that audio is the most important, especially for videos like mine where I'm doing a lot of narration. Mm -hmm. So I spent a little money to get a nice microphone, so the audio is nice and crisp and clear, and it's easier for people to understand. And being a microphone guy, what did you buy? I bought a Blue Snowball. Yep. Okay. And then I also... That was one of our first microphones, too? Yep and it's it serves all the purposes that I need for my channel. And then I also, the next thing I bought was a uh, HD digital camcorder that can record in 720p, mm-hmm. because now everything's expected to be HD, especially on YouTube, so to fill that 16 by 9 aspect ratio, but also to make the visuals look pretty nice. Then I also had to learn about the format of the actual information itself, and I found that it's most effective if I introduce the material that I'm going to be talking about, but do it briefly because you don't want to necessarily drone on and on about what you're going to do because people will be able to learn more about what you're doing when you actually get into that process. So a very brief introduction, probably no more than 30 seconds and then sometimes if it's requ- it's if it's required go over some prerequisite information like how to set up a line follower for example if that's what I'm covering in the tutorial and then very quickly jump right into actually doing the activity so for example if i was doing a programming tutorial i'd go right into a screencast of me assembling the program and explaining step by step what each part of the program does and it's important to start the actual programming no more than a minute to a minute and a half into the video, so you can keep people engaged the whole time. And I found that when I'm explaining the programming, that it's easier to do it in parts. Like you mentioned before, the line squaring program has a lot going on, and if you just look at it at a glance, it looks very long, complicated, and frankly intimidating. However, I found that if you can go step by step and explain what each component does in the small scale, And then explain how all of those small-scale components link together, work together to make that larger program. It's much more digestible for kids Mm -hmm. to understand. And then after the programming walkthrough, I'll have a brief demonstration. And then I'll go right into my outro card and talk about um, subscribing and then mention next week's video. So to keep them engaged in this weekly video format.
0: A lot of learning about the process of how you communicate the information clearly and make it Mm -hmm. appealing And progressing that. And the early videos were surprisingly good, I must say, you know, for for you to do them, at least you were paying attention to having a clean environment and making it clear what you were showing and talking about. Right. Because I have seen those videos where someone is filming in their living room and there's clutter everywhere and you can't see the robot well. And you paid attention to things that were important.
1: Absolutely. Thank, thank you for recognizing that. Sometimes I forget that because it turns out that I'm my own worst critic. Some, like <laughs> Sometimes when I watch my, my older videos, like, for example, my uh, FLL Robot 8 Tips video, which is my most popular video, um, sometimes I cringe a little bit because all I notice are the mistakes. But at the same time, there's also a reason why that's my most popular video. Obviously, people enjoy it for the information, and sometimes I, I do lose sight of that. Um, but it's all about how I've progressed over time. Another really important thing that I've learned from my experience, it's this is outside of the robotics and the video production, but also in being able to communicate with people in a very uh professional manner. And this is communicating with people through email. Mm-hmm. And I've over the years I've had the opportunity to talk to a lot of professionals, whether they be engineers or they be professors, and so I've learned how to compose emails in a very professional manner, which has served me very well now that I'm at college, being able to talk to professors or other superiors and present myself in a very professional manner.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I got that too, as I was emailing you a little bit uh, back and forth to set this up. I think it might be more challenging now that school is starting in a weekend uh, for you to keep up with your fan mail and because uh, you have to get this degree done too. So I uh, yeah. to balance these things. So in the spirit of us as everyday innovators listening, wanting to be mentors to the next generation, part of that is uh, encouraging kids to have an interest in STEM. What's your advice for just helping kids develop that interest in, in Science, technology, engineering, and math topics?
1: That's an excellent question. And I, I just started reading Mitch Resnick's book called Lifelong Kindergarten. So a lot of the ideas that I'm about to express actually come from his book. I can't necessarily take credit for him. And who
0: is Mitch? Give us the.
1: Mitch Resnick is a professor who works in MIT's Media Lab. I haven't yet got the opportunity to meet him, but I hope to meet him soon. Yep. And he was responsible for developing the Scratch programming language, which has uh, tens of thousands of users worldwide now and is, for many kids, their first introduction to programming Mm -hmm. and he also works very closely with the lego group to develop the lego mindstorm sets so he's had a huge influence on me indirectly and now here he is influencing me again uh, as i'm reading his book so to get kids interested in stem the most important thing that mitch writes is that it needs to have a very large creative element at its center because kids have wild imaginations and they're naturally very creative. And they're reimagining the world in ways that a lot of times adults don't necessarily get to see. So he says like a lot of, a lot of times when you're teaching kids about technology, the traditional worksheets approach uh, disenchants kids with STEM. Like it seems like work and it seems kind of boring. So in his book, Lifelong Kindergarten, he talks about that principle of teaching kids in a kindergarten format where it's very hands-on and they're allowed to freestyle and create their own um, ideas and bring them to life, which is something that I think is very powerful, especially considering a lot of STEM topics can seem very intimidating for a Mm -hmm. child who's just starting out. But when it just seems like they're playing with toys or for example, Legos, it's much more digestible and manageable for them and they get a lot more experience out of it. And that's how they become inspired to pursue STEM in their future. Mm-hmm. And talking from experience, that's exactly how I got started. Uh, I started building with Legos and then eventually moved on to the Mindstorms. And we, we discussed that process before. And now I'm learning all of the, the advanced concepts, things like, like calculus that go into the robots. So that's, it's a progression where you're starting from just playing and it, then you gradually incorporate those concepts into it. But all throughout the process, it needs to be something that's fun and creative for mm-hmm. kids.
0: Yeah, fun's important. Cooper would agree to mm. the fun part. Yeah. Absolutely. We put together this little class. When did we do Phil? I
1: think you? I was either eight or nine.
0: So we did our future innovation leaders class when Cooper was eight and you're 13 now. And that was uh, just, a, we had eight kids involved and it was just to explore some of these STEM sort of topics. Right. And so the three big pieces for us was a uh, robotics piece. We did the minds from three. 3D designing, and we used uh, Tinkercad online for 3D design work, and then a 3D printer to see that realized. And then uh, communications, having to communicate as a team and present your ideas to others. Awesome. And I fully expected that the robots would be the most exciting part of that because you immediately get to play with this physical thing. And I thought the kids would really love that and see the physical object respond to what they program right in the real world. And it was good. They enjoyed that. But there's definitely much more interest in the Tinkercad and designing a 3D object, this 2D tool on the computer, and then seeing that become reality when you print it. I think just tapping into kids' natural interest, do they like playing with something physical, do they like seeing it on a screen first, and just running with that is a great way to get kids stimulated to just think more about how these concepts come together.
1: Absolutely, I completely agree. And on the topic
0: of robots specifically, for everyday innovators listening that have kids or have kids in their lives that they might want to at least know about how to get them involved in robotics, tell them about you know possibilities to learn more about robotics, this does kind of seem to be the wave of the future, right? So I think so there's some fear that there won't be any jobs left except those that know how to create the robots. So it's probably not a bad thing to know something about. What's your advice to
1: parents about how to help their kids or other, other kids? learn about this. So getting kids involved with robotics is a great pursuit, and it's great to start them early. And my recommendation would be to either go on uh, Google FLL or Google WRO, which is another uh, Lego competition called the World Robotics Olympiad, and try to find some kind of regional events near you. Mm -hmm. And maybe if there's a robotics uh, program offered at your school, like it's a if it's a club after school, like it was in my school, try to get them involved with that. And if there isn't a club at your school, you could. Always uh, suggest to your, your school board that you would like to start such a club. Like for example, when I joined robotics, it wasn't it wasn't at my school, and we worked to get it adopted by our school. And now it's a permanent fixture within both the middle school and the high school. They each have their own robotics team. So mm-hmm. try to find if there's a team near you. I, it could be privately hosted in someone's home. It could be part of a school. Or if you don't see one around. And, or and if there's a an event around try to start your own team and then um, start gearing your kids up to think about uh, competing and just having a good time with robots
0: yeah and it is a good time getting together with other friends and I think just the the peer involvement helps because you're having fun and not only are you having fun though there's also a, a little bit of, of encouraging each other on to learn more about how to do these things right and just sharing of some people are, some kids will be naturally drawn towards the building of the robot and others are actually drawn towards the programming and seeing kids share that with each other. I found that just really interesting as I was coaching.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. It's a great experience for the kids, especially when they get to work with their friends. Mm-hmm. And that adds even more to the whole play element. It doesn't seem like they're individually working on a problem. It seems more to them like they're they're playing with Legos and having fun with their friends. And that's, that's something really awesome if you can keep them engaged with their peers and it helps them mm-hmm. make these connections that will stay with them for years to come. Also, I notice much of the same thing that you notice is that a lot of times kids tend to gravitate towards one aspect of either robot design or sometimes they gravitate towards programming. Mm -hmm. I originally, when I first started out, gravitated more towards uh, the physical building of the robot, so putting together the mechanical components to achieve the goal, and then my friends were more into the programming. Mm -hmm. And over the years, I've managed to learn more and more of the programming, starting with the NXT graphical programming, then moving on to EV3, and then moving on to C, and now Mm -hmm. moving on to Python. So it's like that uh, progression where I started just building mechanical things and then wanting to take that next step and make my mechanical creations more interesting in integrating the program.
0: Yeah, do more with them.
1: And when it comes to inspiration,
0: even though you've only been doing this for about four years, that's kind of a significant part of your life since you <laughs> went from 13 to 17. You no doubt learned a few things in there. Cooper, we talked about an interesting question. Do you want to ask mm-hmm. that?
1: So, uh, if you had the opportunity to do this, what would you tell you uh, yourself when you were 13 years old? So if I was able to talk to myself when I was 13 years old, like go back time in a time machine, so 17-year-old Kyle, mm-hmm. meaning 13-year-old Kyle, I would tell him to not change a thing because I think 13-year-old Kyle started on this, this journey. Uh, really, it was more like 10-year-old Kyle who, who started but if i could tell some younger version of myself let's say um 10 or 13 years old stay on this path because for me it was it was it felt so natural to progress down this road of of learning because no one no one was telling me to do it it was more of my own thing that i was interested in I feel like if I was told to do something, I would lose interest in it. Instead, it was something that felt completely natural and something that I always wanted to do because I was interested in. And it was this process of discovery that eventually led me to where I am today here sitting in MIT. Mm -hmm. And along that way, I
0: suspect that there were times that you thought, you know, I need to be spending my time doing other things and making these videos. You you, You know, you got discouraged along the way because we all do as part of some sort of journey. And I think just you sticking with that and probably also some accountability that you knew you were helping people and you didn't want to let them down that helped you continue on with that.
1: Is that fair? Absolutely. That's a 100% correct. There are plenty of times like in in the course of robot design, either at home or for competition, I got frustrated and I needed to walk away for a few hours and come back and and clear my head. We all encounter roadblocks like that. What I found to motivate myself is I – I um, take screenshots of all of the really good comments and emails that people send me. So we were discussing this before about uh, people from around the world who have told me their story of how I've inspired them. And I I take all of these screenshots and I put them in the folder. So whenever I need any kind of inspiration, I look back on them and it reminds me that I'm really making a difference in in the world, making a difference in people's lives, like inspiring them and I'm, I'm doing something worthwhile because it means something to them and in a way i'm part of something that's larger than myself and i suspect you might be learning some new things while you're here at mit
0: that you might want to share in videos too so we'll see absolutely that's how that works out as everyday innovators know i love a good quote about innovation and
1: uh, we talked about quotes a little bit look what which one do you want to share with us why did you pick that one I actually have two quotes that I'd like to share with you. The first one, I don't really know exactly where it comes from, but it's an engineering mantra for a lot of uh, people who are working in this field. It's The quote goes that engineering perfection comes not when there's nothing more to add but rather when there's nothing more to take away. And I think that's such a beautiful way to summarize the kind of mentality that everyone should have when they're building, designing, programming something, that in engineering it's about finding the simplest solution to your problem because the simplest solution is oftentimes the most elegant and the most effective and least likely to go wrong Mm -hmm. because the most reliable parts are the ones that aren't there. The second quote I want to share with you comes from Isaac Newton, and this is the guy who's credited with inventing calculus and inventing classical physics, which is the foundation of a lot of science as we understand it today. Mm -hmm. And he said, if I have seen so far, it's because I am standing on the shoulders of giants. And this is coming from Newton, who we see as the originator of a lot of the thinking that we have today. But at the same time, he's acknowledging that there were intelligent people who made important contributions that came before him. And he recognizes that it's not his own work. A lot of It's not all of his own work. He's drawing inspiration from people who came before him. So it's important for people to think of science and technology as a progression where people are making incremental improvements over other people's ideas who came before them. And I think that Newton quote really summarizes that idea very beautifully. Right.
0: And you shared an example earlier of someone seeing your line squaring program and doing another version of that to enhance that and make some improvements and share it back with the community. Exactly. Right? We're all learning from those who went before us. So Excellent. Thank you for sharing those quotes. How can people find out about these very valuable robotic tutorials on YouTube
1: and your website? And you have a book we haven't even talked about yet, and uh, share all that. Okay, so the, the main place you can find my content is on my YouTube channel. The channel is called BuilderDude35, so you could just type that into any search engine and it'll come up with all of my tutorial videos. That's where I have something like 240, somewhere around there, uh, robotics videos that are free for anyone to, to watch and use, and that's tons of information there. I also have a website which is BuilderDude35.com, which is where I I also host a lot of my videos, but I also host some additional resources, things like uh, my downloads page which accompany some, some of the tutorials and accompany my book. And that's also where I have my email where you can contact me with any questions if you'd like. Um, then there's also my book, which I'm very proud to say that as of April 2018, I just became a published author. And uh, my book is called Building Smart Lego Mindstorms EV3 Robots. It's available on Amazon, and I have a whole page on my website dedicated to talking about the book, so you can check that out for more information. But to summarize the book, it's a project-based guide to six of my most popular robots. So robots like the Timiton, which is the Shark robot, the Grunt, which is an interactive walking bipedal robot. I also have the security tank in there, and I have a, a GPS navigating car. Those are some of the projects that are included and mm-hmm. it's written to complement my tutorials so they don't necessarily step on each other's mm-hmm. feet because the book uses concepts from the tutorials and um it's it's i think a nice duality between the two and finally i also have a linkedin profile and you can follow me on linkedin my name is Kyle Markland so my my last name M A R K L A N D and that's where you can find me on there
0: and the easiest by far is builderdude35 Absolutely. Google that and it comes up easily. And yeah. I will put all the links in the show notes to, to make that work. And please check out his book. Check out his book for your kids. It's not inexpensive to go to MIT and I'm sure you would appreciate the book sales. <laughs> That's very important for our authors. So Kyle, I just appreciate we, we got to know you virtually through your, your YouTube videos and Cooper and I enjoyed those and Enjoyed sharing them with the FLL team that we, uh, I coached and Cooper was a part of. So you've been a good virtual mentor to us and to many others. And thanks for the opportunity to meet you in person. And we wish you the best at
1: MIT. Thank you so much for coming out to meet me. And I really enjoyed having this interview. And I, I loved being able to meet Cooper. I also I always love meeting uh, the kids that I get to inspire. So thank you for this opportunity. And I'm looking forward to my next few years here at MIT.
0: Thanks again for listening to The Everyday Innovator, where you make your move from product manager to product master, gaining that influence and confidence to things that you so much need to really create products that customers love. You'll find the written summary of the discussion with Kyle at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 198. Please consider how you can be encouraging the next generation of innovators. And as always, keep innovating.
1: Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit our blog at theeverydayinnovator.com.